Evergreen Future Growers, welcome to Season 3. I'm your host, Jackie Marie Beyer. If you're new to the show, I hope you'll subscribe on iTunes for free or follow on your favorite podcast app. And let's get growing. Hey, listeners. This is Jackie Marie Beyer. It is Saturday, April 10th. 2021 and uh, can you believe we've already done 12 episodes of grow live and this is just number 11 that i'm posting today um i'm sorry if i haven't listened to them i guess even some of the ones that i already posted were like the raw files they're not patty's edited youtube videos so i don't know i might have to go back and she even said one of them has the wrong title I thought we had posted more on the podcast, but I see there's actually only like two or three as compared to, I thought at least the first six were up. Um, there were a couple there that just didn't seem to, the audio part without the presentation, because she's doing these really in-depth um, workshops almost that you would be surprised. So I thought it was just going to be 20 minutes of her just answering questions, but she actually does like a 20 to 35, 45 minute presentation. Then we get to questions. Then if you're a patron, you get like personally answer questions where people like do a Zoom, like we're on Zoom and we get to actually see into their house and what's growing at their garden. And Patty gives them like specific advice to their specific plants and garden situations. So if you want to join that, um, Become a patron. I think there's even like a $20 fee where you get like an extra 30-minute consultation. Um, but if you're not doing anything, I really encourage you to watch the YouTube videos because Patty just drops a wealth of knowledge. Her presentations are really informative. And so um, I hope you're enjoying that. But I hope you're going to like this one where she's talking about composting. She said it came out really good. I will try to listen. I have not, like, listened to any podcasts. <laughs> My podcast, the podcast I follow, I haven't been exercising, driving, going anywhere. I'm frantically trying to finish this book for this children's book illustrator workshop I'm going to at the end of April. Um, and also, we just, like, our roads just got good enough that I can even leave my house it seems like, well, I don't know, I guess April, we're halfway through April, but it seemed like halfway through March, I still wasn't even driving my car because my road was so icy and my car with my studs was broke down. So I've been kind of home and stranded. Mike's had to put up with me, but I've been out in the garden more. Um, so I hope this is interesting to you and, uh, and I hope you'll join us on Grow Live. We've definitely had technical issues with people trying to get it in on the Zoom link. Um, it's not actually live on YouTube yet, um, because YouTube, I think we have to have like a thousand subscribers, Patty said, before they'll even let us go live on YouTube. So it's live on Zoom and then she posts it live and then she posts the recording to YouTube. You can join through the Facebook link is where most of us have been getting on. If you're on my email list, I sent you a, um... There's an email that says correct link with like some ladybugs. That's where I usually join from. I know some of the people that join like email, some people like Facebook. <laughs> uh, it's funny. Like this morning I got on at two minutes to nine. 
I'm like, Patty, Patty, it's telling me you're in another meeting. Where are you? But if you get past our technical problems, I'm telling you, it is a wealth of knowledge. And I'm pretty sure she cuts all that out on the YouTube video. Um, and you just get the gold. So here's some gold for audio and composting. I uh, hope you enjoy it. And let us know if you have questions. Submit your questions. Hi, I'm Go Jack. ahead. I'm Jackie. And together we are Grow Live, where we answer your farm and garden questions and offer gardening knowledge of the best practices weekly. Our mission is to help you and other growers grow a healthier world. One question at a time, one gardener at a time. We want to help you be successful in growing healthy food and creating a healthier planet. That's right, Jackie. And you and I are both passionate about that. How are you doing today? I'm good today. How about you? Well, I'm really good. I woke up to a little uh, little snow on the mountain, but we're out here in the prairie, you know, so that's a, it's a dust of snow that um, it just looks like a heavy frost, really. But what we need is a pile of snow. The farmers and ranchers are really starting to feel the hurt that, that we're going to be pretty dry. But I'm doing good. So uh, what should we talk about this week, Jackie? Since we're in our spring action series, maybe we can help some of the common problems around composting. Ah, composting. You know what? I just love talking about composting. I love helping people about composting. And for all of these followers that know how much I love cattle, I like talking compost as much as cattle. So that's a that's a whole mouthful there, Jackie. So super excited to talk about compost. My notebook out. Yep, because I know you drop golden. And uh, we will drop you some hints here. Got to admit a couple more people. Welcome Sue and Cleo. Oh, sorry. Let's give it. Applause for all our virtual friends. Yay! Uh, some composting this morning, and um, we're going to try to keep it brief but to the point, and then, then we're going to take a bunch of questions on composting. So let me share that screen with you so you guys can kind of see what what we're talking about here. And um, this is what our goal is, right? This is what finished compost looks like. And I got to admit, this is probably my best compost, and I've been composting since uh, 2014 and making about, oh, three or four batches at least a year. And the way the weather is this year, you know, because March is acting like April. So I'm a little worried that April might act like May. So I am going to make more compost this year. That is my goal, to make more compost no matter what. And I've discovered that a lot of people are positive is exactly why we compost. I mean, as gardeners, we know we love compost. We got to have compost. But I thought, well, we'd go over a little bit as to um, why. So the three main reasons, and these are more universal reasons, is, uh, for example, Harvard University uses finished compost for landscaping instead of chemical fertilizers. Now, I am all about that. That I got a show coming up uh, on the 30th. It's a uh, training on converting your lawn to stop growing as much grass and grow food and so you might want to think about joining us that I think it's going to be for an hour and another reason is the trash boy the trash that goes to landfill and it's got all this degradable stuff in it it's making methane and that methane is way worse than anything else us humans are doing on the planet for the most part so if we can uh, stop that from happening, and I think it's just a crying shame every time I go to the dumpster or to the landfill that all that 
products that should be composted need to be composted. So we can be using it on our farms, ranches, and gardens. Another thing, compost saves money by reducing the trash cost. So if you don't even send it there in the first place, then you're gonna reduce that cost. And transportation costs in Eastern Montana and I'm sure lots of other places that are rural in the country and in the world are spent a lot of fuel and a lot of money transporting stuff that could be composted inside that site. So what's compost used for? So we, we amend it, the soil with it, right? And what it's really truly, truly doing is um, adding soil life to our soil. So that soil life will do the mineralization for our plant. And so that's how Harvard University is able to not use the commercial fertilizers because the microbes do that work for you. And major water holding capabilities when you have compost versus not. So that's just unbelievable. Increases the humus, um, adds organic matter. So the last year when I tested my soil, my organic matter was up around five, a little over five. Um, that's 5%, right? Which is kind of off the charts right now for our area. Lots of farmers are in the one, two, and maybe a really good farm at three. So we need to get those increased. And uh, we get all the benefits of the soil microbes. And so I always talk about soil microbes. A lot of people don't know what they look like. They have no idea, you know? So I thought, well, I'll, I'll throw you up a few slides because I took you laying hands courses and, and run the microscope quite a bit. And so this is some of them. So the fungi is in the middle and it, they just kind of look like segmented sticks and they could be all different sizes and colors. And this is a uh, water bear over here. Just the coolest thing I've ever seen in a microscope. And then anytime we have something round or even oval those are spores and they're gonna turn into something. This one that I'm pointing at is a fungal spore, but these, I think these are mycophrysal spores, but they could be most anything. Even, even um, little tiny round ones are gonna turn into something. This one right here is turning into something. But you look at this um, little clear looking stuff, that's sand to give you an idea of how tiny of world we're talking about here with these soil microbes. That's a little tiny grain of sand. And so, you know, I do some consulting and you always think, well, in general, you think, well, nature is decomposing constantly. How difficult could this be to make compost? Right? I mean, really? So it turns out it can be. And but I have discovered from helping other people that uh, our main, what our main problems might be and can help you with that. So these are two large piles of compost, which the one our, my friend here, um, Joanna, is working on is a medium-sized pile, right? So that's probably three times bigger than the piles I make at my, my yard. And this one's a large heap. Um, that's a farm size one. It's probably 20 foot wide by 30 foot long. And so what kind of problems could they run into? And surprisingly, they run into the same problems as our little ones do, is that usually there's a problem with the moisture. 
right? So moisture is key. Uh, the soil microbes are water living organisms. They're aquatic. So when you take water out of compost, you're not going to have much activity, right? Because they need it. They need it to be able to function. They need it to be able to make compost. So this wetness is the key for, especially in our dry climate, right? Well, we're in a high plain semi-desert in Montana with very little moisture and dry air. And so and getting it initially wet is gonna pay big dividends and it needs to be this wet. I'm just, I just picked up a wad of fresh compost that just got mixed up and I wring it through my fingers. That's how wet it should be. And it's, it's a challenge to get it that wet, but. Next problem we might run into is the temperature. And so lots of people start composting and they're like, yeah, I'm composting. I said, what temperature has it got to? And they're like, temperature? Wait, well, it's warm. I can put my hand in it. This is what, if you can put your hand in it, it's not warm enough, right? That we want it to be getting up there 130, 140, even up to 150, even touch higher if you're going to turn it to bake, to really get those microbes working. And the bacteria is, is uh, reproducing at alarming rates, causing that heat when that happens. Another problem is in town, we don't want those compost heat piles that those farmers are making in town. So the students and I that I work with um, put together this um, stacked cedar um, stacking system. So it, it looks decent, doesn't look bad. And we can be successful with it. Those are just some ideas. Nick says, how can I get a large 20 by 30 pile to heat? And that's a big pile, right? It's not a huge pile, but it's a yeah. pretty big pile. And um, in Montana, he's in Montana. So super dry area and sunny, right? So Montana's the opposite of conditions of what you would like for uh, composting. Um, so, and getting it initially wet is the key. So for us gardeners, we want to get it soaking wet right off the bat, right? And so I do that with a tub. And so I put the wood chips, the, the paper products, the leaves, everything in this boat. It's uh, about four foot long and two and a half foot wide or two foot wide, probably. It's a cap boat, cap sled. So I fill that with those dry products and then I, then I fill that up with water and saturate that stuff where you just have to because it's going to suck more moisture away from other stuff because of those dry products. So in Nick's situation, though, I told him, I says, man, you're either going to have to use a fire um, truck type of sprayer to spray a mist over the top of it get a good solid rain for two or three days, which we can laugh at here in Montana. That's probably not going to happen very well. Not, not yet anyhow, or uh, a snow that would be wet enough to soak right in and, uh, or use drip irrigation. And he's a market gardener. So he had drip irrigation. So he runs some lines over the top, the whole pile, run it solid for three days. And then he got it wet enough to start heating and he's off and running. So now that he's got it wet, then he's, only going to turn it when it gets up over 150 up toward 160 degrees and then he's going to knead it like bread he's going to take the dry outside put it in the middle and um recook that part that hasn't been cooked yet so he's going to 
do that with drip irrigation, which for home gardeners, you could do it with the little tiny Mr. Um, sprinkler over the top of it. Once it's wet, it tends to stay pretty good. I mean, once in a while, if you get a hot, dry, dusty winds that is um, really hurting it, then then you might um, then you might need to rewater. But so was that what Sue's challenge last week? She asked me, and I see she typed in the comments. She had a small container that heated up to seventy nine degrees Fahrenheit. It stayed there for a few days, then it cooled down to room temperature, but she said it never got above 79 degrees and the paper never decomposed. Yep. So two things are going wrong there, Sue. One of which is the other main problem that happens and people just don't get enough nitrogen in the pile. And so if we've got wood chips, paper leaves, that can't be more than 50% of the mass of the pile. This isn't by weight, it's by mass. Oh, it's she wait, she said it did decompose. The paper did the paper, decompose. yeah. The paper should decompose um relatively quickly because it's thin and you get it wet, it's gonna decompose fairly fast. But um yeah, so moisture and getting enough green products in there. So and when I can't find enough green product products. Um, which we're talking green products or your nitrogen products, which would be fresh cut um, plants, um, any legumes. That's why if I really run out of stuff, I can get alfalfa pellets and or alfalfa hay, which I use a lot of alfalfa hay in mine, just because it's hard to get enough volume of product. And so small piles can be a problem. Let's see what she's got. How often should you turn a pile? I've heard it turn it get hotter than 160 and cooler than 130. Yep. So you don't turn it until it reaches that close to that 160. So you just leave it leave it alone if it isn't up to 160. If it goes below 130 or if it maintains at 130 for a long period of time, then it needs to turn to get air in it and probably water back into the pile. So and those are all hot thermal composting methods. But uh, what else we got, Jackie? Can I just ask really quick for my own? Is the reason you want to get it hot? Somebody said, I think it was Lori said last week, is that that kills the weed seeds? Like, because I've never worried about that. I've just always just turned it outside and let it sit and turn it, and I've never had a problem. I've so, never measured the temperature. Yep. Um, you're doing more of a passive way, and that's some of the ways I'm going to be helping people learn how to do too. But if you're trying to make a super high quality compost, there's three reasons why we want to get it that hot. One, it's going to kill the weed seeds. Two, it's going to kill any diseases and pathogens get killed out. So you don't have to worry about any human, any pathogens that could transfer into humans through food or whatever once you get to that 160. And so that's why the, those, those are the composting rules. If you was a, a commercial composter, you have to abide by these rules or you won't be in business. But home gardeners, that's, you know, you're doing your own thing on your own property with your own food source. But a commercial gardener or a commercial composter has got to get to the 160. They also have to turn it at least five times. But you don't want to turn it until it's up there toward the 150 mark because every time you turn it, you're slowing down the pile. Um, it slows it down. 
and you start destroying fungi, which that fungi, like the picture in the middle of the slide back there, we want the fungi in there. They're, they're part of what's really making this thing work. So we, that's why we don't want to turn it any often than we have to, but we still would like to turn it the five times. When we get a pile that just kind of rides at 130, it doesn't seem to be kicking up and doing what you want it to do. It needs turned, it needs air in it to keep it from being anaerobic. And so once you aerate it, then it, and, it, and if there's enough nitrogen in it, it'll take right off. It'll start rising right away, get right up to 150. I've had piles ride at 150 for a week, week and a half, and not have to worry about them. Um, Charles Downing, he's over in a different environment, right? He's a super wet and much warmer climate than we do. He doesn't even turn his piles, but once. But he's in a wet climate, right? So he's not losing any of the moisture where we can lose moisture overnight just because we've got a hot wind or something. Okay, what else we got? Sue said, how do you store your food scraps before making your pile or do you just add it to a growing pile? Personally, I've been adding it to a growing pile or a bed in my lawn or garden that I've already got mulch on and then I'll I'll, th I'll kick some mulch over the top of it. It decomposes. It's just doing nature's way. But you could add it to a pile outside. You know, you have to worry about getting cats and dogs and stuff, mostly dogs, carrying off your products or whatever, or, you know, messing them up. But you could cover them up with some, like, I always have a, a, a hay around because I use that in my composting and my mulching. So then you throw some of that over the top of it. Or you can use, put it into um, Okashi composting method that you put the microbes on the food waste and keep it in a sealed container. And then it's, it doesn't smell. It's got a lot of molasses in it, and it's got a lot of bacteria in it, and it's breaking down those um, food waste before you add it to your pile. So I know people that do that all winter long. They've got containers full of their garbage with the biology in it, breaking it down in their garages. And then they, then they add that to their compost heaps. So like worm bin. that's probably the best way. Yep. Or you could do a worm bin, but I found the indoor worm bins, they don't consume as much as I do or as much waste as I create. So you got to kind of watch that where that you've got to keep them kind of in balance. They're a whole nother ball game, but. What else we got? What's Cleo wants to okay, know? Okay, we have a question about wood chips. Why do I still have wood chips after eight months of composting? So those wood chips um, are super fibrous, carbon, right? And they do not break down fast. And if they're not getting their pile wet enough, then it might be years before they're going to break down. If uh, their pile's not heating, then it's going to take a long time to to break down too. And there's just a certain percentage of the wood chips and wood products that don't break down in one composting run. So I screened those out, like the picture I showed you was a screen compost. I screened out the, the wood chips that didn't decompose and the sticks and stuff that didn't decompose in the first round. I kicked them over into my next batch. And so as I do that, I'm taking all the microbe, um, not the not the whole mass of microbes, but the population that's in the micro pile and adding that to my next one. 
So it's kind of like a sourdough starter where that I'm putting some microbes from one pile into the next pile. And I do that every single time. So the diversity and microbes that are in my current piles is way, way higher than when I, my first year of composting. But they will break down, but you're going to have to compost them maybe another two times. So you screen them out. Then the screenings you have now is finished compost and ready to be used. Those wood chips and sticks kick back and go back into your pile again. Some cartilage and some of the fish might need to be screened out, but most all the time when I put fish in my compost heaps, especially if they're heating, I don't have any bones left, nothing. They just totally melt right down into the pile super fast because they're super high in nitrogen. So if you need to heat a pile, they're a product that could really heat a pile fast, just some fish waste. We have seven different piles and we put like things like corn stalks and sunflower stalks that take a really long time to decompose in some like in one pile and then I don't know, we just have different things in different piles. And then you know, Mike's got his in the mini farm and we've two up by the house and it just depends. Yeah. We can usually make a batch of compost in about two weeks in the heat of summer. Yeah, but that's not that's it looks like compost. It's not finished compost. So that's compost that's still got microbes working. And you'd want to just set that somewhere for six months. I like to put it in the shade and put some mulch over the top of it and keep it damp in order to get that time involved in it. So I, I try to get people to think about um, your compost when it comes out fresh like that. It looks like compost, smells like compost, but it's not cured that would be like trying to take an eight or nine year old kid and have them do my workload at my abilities well that's not possible right in fact they're going to take more work from you to get them to work right so they're kind of when you put that fresh compost out onto your soil it's stealing some of the capabilities of the microbes already in your soil to help break down that compost further so it's just not quite finished, what they call finished compost. So, yeah, it's a it's really almost a year process to really get high quality, right? And and then a lot of people don't know what high quality is, and I fully understand that. But um, this high quality that I'm talking about, that we can see all that soil life in the microscope and stuff, and it's that black and rich and smells like the greatest smell on earth, right? So that's got so much life in it that I can use that to inoculate all my other compost, my soils, my plants to make it into compost extracts and teas and stuff. So there's like different qualities of compost and our home gardener isn't going to look at it under the microscope and know, but we do know, we do want to know that we need to let it cure because we want those microbes going out there and working like adults and get the job done and not stealing from our soil. Does that make any mm -hmm. sense? Well, nobody's really explained it that far before, I guess. So no, a lot of people don't. There's, there's so many errors out there on the internet and stuff that, you know, and even when I started, I took Elaine's class, which is really a two year class, but I condensed it down into a winter and, uh, even after six months of that, I was like, 
okay, I've got compost, look how great it is. And then finally, somehow in the messaging with the class, I finally figured out, oh, that's not cured. I said, oh, that part of the class needs to be stepped up where the people really understand that part because it, it can hurt you where you want it to be helping you, right? And we've went through all this work to make it. We want it to really work for us. So yeah, that's part of our message. And that's why, why we have the show, Jackie. So we can really help other people really get it. Yeah, because I don't want to be putting something on that's actually taking away. Yeah. I mean, what's the point? And I, we've done that for years. So mm-hmm. I'm excited we're getting a soil test this year. That's actually going to give me my organic matter. Last year I had two tests done. And the company that I was getting it from didn't ever give us the organic matter. Yeah, so you got it requested, I think. They just, they don't do it. So mm-hmm. it's important yes. when you order your soil tests, make sure you're going to a company that does, is going to give you that information. So we're going, I ordered it from Peaceful Valley this year. They sent me the package and everything i gotta go down scoop the dirt up and send it back so i'm so excited to see nice. what our organic matter is finally yeah and make uh, sure Patty, you- we have two more quick questions and i see okay. sue's got her hand raised all right uh the two questions are really quick what's the easiest method i mean using the least amount of labor <laughs> Well, that's a quick question for you to ask me, but <laughs> I have a quick answer. I think what I think what we're going to do just from time restraint is we need to do that by itself in a separate show, because there is methods that we can use. And I'm did a whole year worth of those methods last year, and I plan on doing even more of them this year because I see the the barrier entry is the compost. And the barrier entry to get the compost done right is even bigger. So I think we'll make a new show out of that as to how to make it lots easier. And and I seen in the comment there, Cleo asked about the barrel composting. And um, I just really don't like the barrel composting. And everybody that I've trained under doesn't like it. It doesn't heat up enough because it's not, it doesn't, you need, it's, this is kind of back to high school science. It needs to have core mass. So it needs to be at least three foot by three foot by three foot and preferably maybe even 40 inches by 40 inches by 40 inches, right? Of volume of starting stuff to let those microbes start heating and working, right? And a lot of them do say, like Cleo says, to turn it every day. Well, that it is breaking that down, but you are not creating good soil life or a good product by turning it that often. So the best composters I know turn it the least that they can possibly turn it. So I, I, yeah, I think those are a waste of money. They probably are a great place to put your raw product like we were talking about earlier, Sue. Um, put the raw product in there with, with um, Okashi. That's a composting material. You just put it in there and let that break down in that barrel you're going to take it out of that barrel and put it into really good compost and that would be the best use of a barrel what else we got jackie see laurie's got a well, question last one you kind of answered how do i keep compost in town and not have it look bad and you showed us your bin yeah and there's lots of ways you can make bins out of a, a a station right uh and they work good to have at least three stations and you could do that out of pallets and they need to be covered Right, they've got to be in shade. They're they're aquatic 
creatures that love the dark, right? So when we have them expose to the sun and the hot, dry winds, uh, things aren't going well, <laughs> you know? So that's we got to have them shade. So I've got mine under some trees. I also got to cover, I think we went back to that picture, got to cover, and we can do that in an after show, go back to that picture. I've got it covered, but it's slotted. So if I do get some moisture, I can get moisture in there. But if we get a torrential downpour, which, you know, rarely happens in eastern Montana, then I need to throw a tarp or something over the top of it so it's not getting resaturated completely and leaching out my good stuff. I don't want it to do that. So I see Lori wants to know about the green products, right, Lori? <clears throat> so there's a... Yeah, that was my first question, but I've got another okay. one too. <laughs> All right. Yeah, the green products, um, think of anything that was alive in the last six months or it was alive when they put it up. So like hay, right? You think, hey, that must be a brown product that's dry. But if it's an alfalfa bale or a compost or a cover crop that's been baled, that was baled fresh, green, and high protein, right? So that is a green product, even though it's dry. And so I use that as one of my main um, sources of my green product is old alfalfa. And it can be breaking down alfalfa. That's fine, right? It's still considered a green product because when they when they baled it, it was high protein. It was probably 16, 18, could be 20% protein in that alfalfa bale. And when you buy alfalfa pellets, it's going to be even higher percent protein than that. It probably should be close to 18%. I would think in a product that you buy that's alfalfa meal or alfalfa pellet because you're just going to wet it down and make it into a wet mush again you know for a green so you, product you can just buy pellets mm -hmm. i'm having yep. trouble sourcing organic uh, alfalfa and you know green materials so yeah that's a big problem and i i wish we could get more farmers right that just went right into organics and they could they could be growing these products and putting them into the the greenhouses and the Home Depots or wherever that want to market the products, right? They would they would make a fortune. So anybody want to do that? I I wouldn't mind going in on that idea, but I don't have the space or time. But yeah, it's it's definitely a need. Now the hay I have is not organic because I don't have any organic guys close to me that I can get product from that I'm confident that it doesn't have that many weeds in, right? So my farmer that I'm getting it from. Is not organic, but he's not into the GMOs. So you don't want GMO alfalfa if you can help it. But if you can't get anything else, it's going to be better than nothing. But it hasn't had any um, any of the royal high new toxic chemicals or herbicides on it that are really bad in compost. So he doesn't have anything. He didn't use anything on his hay. It's just hay. And so if you can get just hay and they haven't sprayed anything to kill out the grasses, then it's going to be good stuff. It doesn't have to be comp, doesn't have to be organic. Because it's going to be hard to find organic. And a lot of times when you do find the organic, it's going to have some hidden seeds in there that might be harder to kill. And it's, you know, you're not going to necessarily always get it composted instantly. You may set the bale down, which I do, and then then compost it. Well, I might have started some seeds in that spot where I set that hay bale down well before I was getting it composted up to the 150 degrees to kill seeds. So there's just kind of little things you gotta think about. But but yeah, definitely 
And if you can drive by a farmer's place, you got some good farmers in your area. He's got a really nice alfalfa field. Ask him, is that genetically modified alfalfa? Has it been sprayed, right? Genetically modified alfalfa is getting sprayed with Roundup to kill out the grasses because it's a huge problem in, in alfalfa production is I want to grow alfalfa, but after year three, the grasses start coming in and pretty soon I'm growing grass and I can't make money doing that as a farmer. That's why they want to go toward the, the cleaner field. But Okay, we're going to, I'm getting right down a rabbit hole. What else we got? Chop up your fish parts, Sue says. I don't, Sue. I am a lazy gardener. <laughs> I go right to the Fort Peck fish cleaning station with a great big garbage can and a couple liners and ask the guys to throw their parts in there instead of send them down the chopper. And then I compost them whole in my, in that same stackable you've seen in that four foot by four foot area. And they're gone in the next turn. You can't even see them. They're, they're completely gone. Right. So they have been just turned right into good stuff right away. You put like a gallon of fish parts in that four foot by four foot container. I've put as many as four fish in there before. And one was uh, one of those great big ones down from uh, the Missouri River. Oh, the dirt or uh, paddlefish. Yep, yep. <clears throat> and I put some big catfish in there and some walleye that those are just pure nitrogen going in. And so those are going to help heat a pile, right? So if I have a pile sitting there, 140, 145, doesn't want to kind of get right into the 150, I throw a fish in there and get it a little bit wet again, it's going to fire up. It's, it may go okay, quickly. <laughs> so I got a pile that I started last year and it heated up, but um, I just don't think it's quite done. Could I add some fish and kind of get it cooking again? Yep. You could add some alfalfa, hey, some fish, some coffee. Coffee's a 20 to 1 carbon nitrogen ratio, so it's a green. You think, well, it's brown, you know, it's coffee grounds. No, but it's it's high protein. So it's it is definitely a green. So that can you can put in probably as much coffee as you can haul from any town that you can haul it from and put it into the piles. Okay. So when I can I pour the like say there's leftover coffee, can I just pour the leftover coffee or just use the ground? Yep, you can put the papers in everything. You know, alfalfa pellets, they'll they'll fire things up too. Okay. If you can get a farmer to 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 bale some of those gorgeous cover crops when they're green and just right, right before they flower. Okay. <laughs> that that'd be uh, perfect. If you could get a storage, a few square barrels of them stored away and store them for, you can store them for years, right? You've still got it at that high protein when they cut it. Well, I think I could just go out and hand cut some of that and store it in a garbage barrel. Yeah. Pack it in there and store it in a garbage barrel. Yeah, get your old sigh and lay it down, dry it out in your yard, and then you could you could store it. Now, don't try to store green hay in a closed barrel that's not dry because it's going to get wet and it may blow up. Okay. So you'd want to dry it just like you would hay before you try to store it. Yeah. Otherwise, compost it right away when it's fresh. Okay, what are cover crops, Chloe wants to know. So, Chloe, the farmers are planting multi-species um, 
plants together in a field instead of wheat um, to feed the soil microbes. So it's like comp composting in the field. So they plant a cover crop, it's gonna improve the soil, stop soil erosion, and really take care of the pollinators. They're fantastic. And so then that farmer is either gonna lay it down and make a mulch on his ground to improve his soil. But if you can kind of intervene and say, hey, can I buy some of that cover crop and put into your compost then? Try to grow some lentils this year just for that purpose. Yep, some millet would be, millet super easy to grow. Uh, sunflowers are great. I chop up sunflowers and put them in every compost heap I have. Um, lots of the flowers that I talk about, I don't know if you've watched any of our other shows, but the, the facilia, the borge, the comfrey, right? Every gardener needs to have a patch of comfrey, right? I have the roots, so come see me. Not yet, they're still frozen, but in another month, I'll have roots to give away to people. So I'll mail them to you if you need to, but you've got to get those plants going. So those plants are going to be your green product for that compost. And you can cut the plant three times to make compost. So yeah, and see, we graze it. Yeah, they mob graze it to improve those soils on those cover crops. It's fantastic. Any other questions? We got any others on the list, Jackie, other than the easy thing? What'd you got, Lori? So I have a friend who's building me some compost bins right now. Nice. And Sweet. <laughs> um, so wanted to make sure we're doing it right. And so it's it's like they're going to be built on the ground and they're wood slat sides so that the air can move through, right? Because you need the air and they'll have covers on them so that they're, it's shaded and doesn't get too much rain. The first thought is that we don't want it directly on the ground. So I put together a pallet uh, and then I put new slats in the pallet so that it only had like half inch gaps in the pallet to make a platform, right? So that I can take a shovel and clean that whole compost station out and into the next station. And then I can wash down that station with water so you don't want to be in the mud and you don't want to be digging down in your soil every time you turn compost. So you're turning on this wooden platform that I created with a pallet for the body, okay. which okay. in your situation, you could get those great big long ones. But this is a concern with pallets that I've just have been um, brought knowledge about. Of course, this makes sense, right? So don't use pallets that had any plants or food on it because they have sprayed it. So it's got a chemical in the wood. <laughs> mm. hidden, hidden thing going on out there. So it's really difficult to figure that out. But if you go to the implement dealer where they get these great big parts, they've got great big long pallets, right? And if you could get two of them, then you can turn two of them into one platform and they wouldn't have had any chemicals sprayed on them or anything. Is there any way to know? I mean, we've just got lots of old pallets and wood and stuff lying if around. Got a stamp on them that says citrus or or the vegetable farm name or farm name on them. Don't use them. Okay. Yeah. Um, you know, I've made a lot of stuff out of pallets and hadn't thought anything of it until this. And then the one day that I had a student cutting a pallet in the in the shop, and they says, "Wow, this stinks!" And I'm like, "Hmm." This mm. is good. So 
just to be aware. So we're all about education. So, all right, what was the other half of your question? The lid sounds great and making three stations. So you're gonna, you're gonna start in station A, move to station B in the first turn, move to station three in the third turn, right? You oh, so you start a new, new one in station A now because C and B can go back and forth until it's got the five turns done. Once it's got the five turns done, it should end up in C, then you can use A and B. Take C away and put it in the shade somewhere, and it's gonna be half the mass, maybe even a third of the mass of what you started with, so it's not gonna be much area. So then it needs to go in its holding place for six months. And you could, your next batch could, go in with that batch just knowing okay it's gonna I won't be using this until fall like if I make it now and I make a really good batch I probably will use it come November right to put it out on the ground I'm not growing in it yet it's just going out on the ground it's going to get grown in in the spring and so that's how you could kind of manage that but I could just leave it in one of those bins for six months covered yep. and just keep it, keep it shaded and damp yep. Keep a little eye on it. Make sure it's not dried out. It's got to stay damp. Where that when you get a hold of it, you can kind of like a sponge, be, not wring water out of it, but it will cool. And we'll have a we should have a live composting class, right, Sue? Are we going to do that? <laughs> we are. We are. I'm going to cut um, cattails to have on hand. Patty, this, I have a vision. So whenever nice. you're ready to think about it, let's do it. Okay, we should probably uh, wrap this up. Uh, How do people get more information? So they can get more information from by joining our Facebook group. And they can join us on YouTube. That's where we try to put the recordings. Haven't done very well. School, teaching school's gotten away lately. But uh, the, we'll try to get this one on. And you can always support us on Patreon. That's a huge, huge help, you know. And so we got some tiny Patreon on there up to the bigger ones that would be more like a consulting thing and we really dig right in and help you dramatically but you can join us there on patreon that'd be a huge help and we want to thank Lori, jacqueline lacy eileen and sue for their support on patreon yay yes they're making it happen for us we really appreciate that what are we talking about next saturday so next saturday you know what those plans we started yeah, I've got kale ready to transplant, and um, I'm sure other stuff is going to be ready to transplant soon. So I thought we would maybe hit the greenhouse. It'll be fun. Awesome. Well, seedlings on our Patreon, please stay on the line for the after show where we're going to answer more questions. We want to thank everyone for joining us this week, and don't forget to, to send us your garden questions on Facebook or join us next Saturday. Yes, and let's grow healthier. Let's grow a healthier world. See you soon. Bye now. Grow healthy. Do you know someone who would benefit from the Organic Gardener podcast? If you like what you hear, we'd love it if you'd share the Organic Gardener podcast with a friend. Thanks again for listening, and remember, grow local.